We've been about this work, diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, shared through the voices of a white woman and a black man. We bring lived experiences. We have pursued DNI progress for most of our professional lives. We use Crazy and the King to cover news, tips from colleagues, and host incredible guests. Listeners, count on Julie and I to transparently drive the conversation. We thank you for rocking with us. Check it. Check it. Julie, kick off the show. Welcome to Crazy and the King. Man, let me tell you something. I got my candle. You do know that I am a fan of Twizzlers. Mm-hmm. So I have my stack of Twizzlers. But everything isn't sweet. Like my drink is on chill, is wonderful. Once again, we might start sharing our video with you all. We have some things in the work. And shout out to my pod partner, Jay. And let me tell you why I'm giving you a shout out. I'm giving you a shout out because what I, I think the saying is something like what goes around comes around or um what 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 was once old is new again you all as listeners may not recognize but julie and i have gone back to our season one format and i actually like it yeah i love it i love it and you can tell i just love how much closer you and I are, right? Like yeah. we we didn't know each other super duper well when we decided to do this thing. And uh, now, like, no, 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 no. Okay, we, we didn't know, know one another. <laughs> okay, fair enough. We got we got we got thrown into this thing, but we didn't. It wasn't a painful thrown in. Like we didn't have any band aids <laughs> or scars. We were both happy. Like it was just you know how you get in that bouncy ball thing at the carnival. We just jumped in and we just started jumping around and we figured out like, look, you know what you lost a sock over there or you know somebody's shoe came off over here or whatnot but we made it work yeah so yeah, we are back gonna die and, yeah, and here we are back in one format we love it yes so lot, lots of quick hitter stories and and fun conversation and here we go full full circle so you get us started today Absolutely. So not on his watch or theirs. Actually, Berkshire Hathaway shareholders, they rejected a proposal. Like I smiled when I was reading the story and I didn't smile in affirmation. I smiled in hesitation. I smiled in just the privilege, the Mm -hmm. privilege that someone that many of us revere. And I have a great amount of respect for what, you know, Warren Buffett and his team have done the amount of giving and philanthropy that they they exercise, but the privilege to be able to say that, well, we're not going to worry about diversity and climate initiatives and issues. That's not something that we're going to become transparent about. Uh, and so the the shareholders rejected a proposal for Berkshire Hathaway to to be more forthcoming, more transparent. And that was that was driven largely by Warren Buffett. And so that's, you know, something that we have to pin on him, not not anyone else. He wasn't really a fan of it, Jay. Yeah, I think there's a couple interesting things. And so full disclosure, I am a Berkshire Hathaway shareholder. Um, I 
am not enough of a shareholder to have been able to vote on these particular issues. Oh, um, I was getting ready to get with you. I was getting I, ready to get with you. Okay, yeah, cool. You I'm one of those little fractional ladies, you know, okay. like point zero 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 one. Got it. <laughs> um, you know, but Warren Buffett is, he runs the company with an extreme amount of both power and lack of transparency. And there's starting to come some pushback for that. And even though um, these proposals were rejected by the shareholders, the amount of people that voted for them when Buffett is actually against the proposal was pretty significant. And I think signals some changes coming from even that extremely wealthy, mostly institutional investor class uh, of voters. Um, And I think very... Also, to that same point, see changes coming because we also saw at the shareholders meeting the approval of the successor for Warren Buffett. So he's in his fifties, right? Um, I I think so. He's he's yeah. a young guy. So if he's he young. he holds out, he's gonna have a tenure um, that that's fairly significant. And so one. While we're dissatisfied, I think there are some bright side to to the proposal being partially um, pushed both by like BlackRock was a big one on the on the climate side, um, several big names on the diversity side. So uh, dinosaurs are going and and a new chain, a new class of of leadership is coming in across the board um, in this country. We just have to make sure that we hold them accountable when they get into that place. Like people like Warren Buffett have not been held to that same accountability. Yeah. And again, he's got a position on that, you know, and as it relates, it's not as if he doesn't feel that they are important. So we want to be fair to Warren. You know, he says that both issues are important. And to Julie's point, it looks like about 25% of the shareholders said that, revealing their position on climate is important. And about 24% of the shareholders said that revealing diversity numbers is important. Um, you know, Bourne said, uh, you know, Buffett said that we do some other asinine things because we're required to do it. So we'll do whatever's required. That's a signal towards he's there. It's almost like, um, you know, President Obama, when he was in office, you know, he would tell certain communities, make me do it. You know, it, it's one thing for you to want certain things to happen as it relates to legislation, uh, as it relates to perhaps my speaking out. But he said, you have to make me do it. Show me. Force the vote. Rally. I don't know. Get petitions signed, whatever the case may be. And it sounds to me like Warren is sitting on that fence. Like if we get enough people to force him to mandate it across the portfolio of a portfolio of companies that they may very well capitulate a bit. So, but, but how long do the masses have to force things on the most powerful men in the world? I mean, it, it, we like, it, it's almost like that, you know, like, show me why you have value. Show me this, show me that. Like, it's always on us. It's never on them. Yeah. And, and why isn't on Warren Buffett that as a billionaire a million times over, um, 
he gives a shit about the future of this planet for our family and his family. And why doesn't he see the value in having Berkshire businesses roll up a report on diversity and inclusion? If he valued it, right, he would do it. He's one of the smartest men in the world and he's made billions of dollars using that brain. But when it comes to something as as simple as transparency, he won't have it. Yeah, I don't know the answer to that. And I don't want to try to surmise why he takes that position of giving each of the portfolio companies their own autonomy. I, I don't even want to guess. Um, I, I really don't know. I, I, I hope that we or that shareholders, I'm not a shareholder of, of uh, Berkshire Hathaway, but I hope that shareholders do increase their vote whenever that frequency, that next vote is. I hope that number goes from 24 and 25% respectively up to 50%, up to 60%, that it's a monumental change that happens in the next yes. several months. That's what I'm hoping. And, and, and to answer your question, though, because you and I are in conversation, I don't know how long we have to wait, Jay. You know, uh, black folks have been waiting for certain things, you know, for an extremely long period of time. People with disabilities have been waiting for an extremely long period of time. But but I often share with people I have a saying, and I think I've said this to you before. Life is like wrestling a gorilla. You don't quit when you get tired. You quit when the gorilla gets tired. And so as long as that gorilla has energy and has fight, you better figure out how to survive and to fight. And so I know we get tired. We get a bit frustrated. We're asking the the normal question like you just did of how long, but we have to figure out what that frequency is. If I had to tap out and get somebody else to come in, sometimes we are in these consulting engagements and I'm like, you know what? Look, this is extremely frustrating. I may have to decompress. I can tell you um, this week I was I was watching Twitter. And critical race theory was trending. And I was so incensed. Now, you know, I'm not a fan. I'm not the biggest supporter of critical race theory. I'm not opposed to it, but it's not my go-to. Right. And yet I was so incensed earlier in the week that I literally walked away from my computer, canceled one phone call, and I walked up and down my block, sat on my uh, porch for like an hour and 10 minutes because I I just said that there was no reason for me to have a conversation in this headspace. I need to process through, get back to a position of, you know, neutrality, if you will. Mm-hmm. So I think the, the, the answer to the question is we just got to keep fighting, Jay. Yep. And that's what you always tell me when I'm tired. Right. And I think that's what we have to remember. Um, is that you can't take care of other people if you can't take care of yourself. And it's certainly um, a great example, I think, as a leader to be able to walk away for a minute and and disengage and, and reset. Um, so speaking of very successful young Black men, um, let's talk about Mr. Justin Fields. What, what's the MF? Oh, I'm sorry. I was going to say Justin motherfucking Fields. 
Boom. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> Boom. <laughs> yes. Um, y- y'all know I'm a, a outside of being an IU fan. I'm a Buckeyes fan because my husband holds me hostage. Um, yeah. <laughs> but the, the NFL draft was was this last week, and, and we were waiting for when Justin was going to get drafted. Um, you know, just a, like a little bit about him if you don't follow football. Um, so graduated 2018 from Kennesaw High School in Georgia. Um, five-star recruit, highest rated dual threat quarterback in the class of 2018 as rated by ESPN, Rivals.com, and 247sports.com. Came out of college, went to University of Georgia, I think, for one year, transferred out to the outstanding Ohio State University, where as quarterback for two years, he was a Heisman finalist. He took the Buckeyes to Big Ten Championship and won. Um, Big Ten Offensive Player of the Year two times. Um, ended his three-year college career with 67 passing touchdowns. 5,700 passing yards, 19 rushing touchdowns, and over 1,100 rushing yards. That's an okay college career. I think we can both agree to that. And so as we were waiting, um, really Justin went in as expected to be second overall pick and, and second QB pick in the draft. Well, that, that didn't happen. He dropped to 11th and and functionally then became the fifth ranked quarterback in his draft class. And I don't know if you watch ESPN, but, you know, all the guys, the talking heads are saying, like, what the hell happened to Justin? He hasn't thrown a snap. He hasn't gotten in trouble or taken a snap. He hasn't gotten in trouble. What the hell? And one week before the draft, the NFL released that Fields has epilepsy and has since he's been a child. That's the first time that that information has been made public. The next day, the teams that were supposed to sign him, I see you, San Francisco 49ers, um, were suddenly uninterested. So I'm going to pause for a second and take my deep cleansing breath and tell you why this is so important to me. Um, but give me your give me your reaction. Yeah, um, I got to tell you, I didn't know anything about this story and I still don't know who Justin Fields is. I'm, I'm sure I could Google it real quick. Um, it's disappointing because if, in fact, he's had epilepsy the majority of his life. And and functioned because he wouldn't be in the conversation under consideration if he had not functioned, had not excelled, had not performed, had not delivered, then it yes, really is yes. disappointing. Did, did I because, mention? yeah, I, I mean, yes. I, 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 all I would say is that, you know, not having the insight of the medical report, I think about one of my supervisors when I was in corporate America in uh, the early 90s. And this is a true story, Jay. My supervisor, and I won't call his name, but he was an incredible running back. But he had a couple of injuries. And when it was time to go pro, 
the doctors said, if you get hit one more time and this happens to you, you will be paralyzed for the rest of your life. And so as a result of that, he didn't go into the NFL. Let me tell you who his backup was. His backup was Emmett Smith. Oh, okay. His backup was <laughs> Emmett Smith. So that tells you how good my supervisor was when I worked at MCI Communications. So I'm reserving a full comment, having not enough information into the medical report. So, however, right? If he's had it since he was a child, he's a Heisman finalist. He top rated Big Ten championship, nine interceptions in his entire college career. Nine, right? That's three a year. Top ranked high school. And the only thing that changed was that he had a disability. He didn't get in trouble. He didn't get injured. He didn't, he, he didn't faint on the field. He didn't have a seizure on the field. There was no setback, right, due to his epilepsy. But immediately, his value and his stock declined so dramatically that he went from the second pick to the 11th pick overall. And when I'm talking to people and they ask me, give me an example of ableism. This is one of the easiest to understand examples of ableism in action in a career that I've ever seen. There is no demonstrative evidence that he has ever been impacted during any of his play. And if it, and if it had happened, we would know. But because he has a neurological disability, he was not worth an investment. And the NFL felt so inclined, and I don't know enough about this piece, so I'll, I'll reserve some judgment here, but the NFL felt so inclined that they released his medical history about the epilepsy, right? And so not only did he not get to choose the, the place and time of his, his self-disclosure of his identity as a person with a disability, he had to hide that he was a person with a disability throughout multiple successful careers because when he got to the place where someone was going to pay for him, he didn't have value. And it, it had nothing to do with those nine interceptions. It had nothing to do with being a Heisman finalist. Like it had nothing to do with him. It had everything to do with the way that we treat people with disabilities as less valuable, less human, and less worthy of our investment as employers. Like it, it's just so black and white to me. It, it's, I'll probably use it in every presentation I do for the rest of my life. Yeah, no, I uh, I appreciate you raising this, uh, you know, and while I may not be a person who's watching uh, the NFL, I think I'm going into year number five now. However long it's been since the Ravens won the Super Bowl, I've not watched one football game. But I do appreciate your sharing this story because, again, high performing, high functioning athlete that should have been that number two pick, if you will, uh, probably probably even a higher pick. And it's extremely disappointing because the amount of sacrifice, the amount of investment that he made, his family made, people that support him and his family made is 
is untold. You know, we don't see what goes into that behind the scenes um, equation. We don't see, we don't see, uh, here's, here's some, let me share something with you for a second, Jay. So back in 2000 and I think seven or eight, I wrote a script called HBCU Athletes Off the Grid. And what it was about was a reality show of HBCU athletes that are high performing, but they don't get drafted. And so I wanted the camera to follow them. And the question that I wanted the show to answer was, did the school prepare you for corporate America? You didn't get drafted. You were the man on campus. What now? And part of the story arc was, or when we were archetyping the, the personas, the persons, one person had a grandmother or grandfather that was on medicine. We needed the NFL so we could afford this medicine. So I could go down a list of them. I won't do that. But what, but what, what resonates with me in this story is what we don't know. How much they sacrificed and what they were waiting to see come to fruition with this draft, that's yeah. not going to happen now. Yeah. And, and when you think about it, I mean, to, to your exact point, right? One reason I don't watch as much football as I used to is that I've watched Roger Goodell and, and all of the owners and quite frankly, too much the players association. Okay. Right. The, the breaking of these young men's, not just their bodies, but their minds. And then seeing the outcomes of that, like Brian McNabb, I think is a great example of, of someone who had CTE, Junior Seau, CTE. But when someone comes in with a neurological disease, right, they're automatically discounted. They're automatically, right? And, and knowing that they are creating more men with traumatic brain injury over and over again so that they can monetize off of the backs of these young men. It's hard to justify, right? It, it's hard to justify. But then you, you say things like that, right? It's like there's also just a, a lift up that comes out of being drafted that comes with those opportunities that I don't want to deny anyone, but I have that conflict about. Yeah. And uh, the last thing that I'll say about this story is that the 2021 NFL draft ended without a single player. Hear me clearly without a single player from an HBCU being drafted. Let's go to an ad from Jobvite, and then we'll keep pushing through this episode. Really quick before Torin and I hop back into the episode. Have you heard about the new Jobvite? The social recruiting innovator is now the end-to-end TA suite leader, helping TA teams attract, engage, hire, onboard, and promote the talent they need to succeed. But built specifically for talent acquisition professionals, the Jobvite Talent Acquisition Suite delivers an unmatched depth of capabilities from AI to DNI, recruitment marketing to applicant management, new hire onboarding, employee referrals, internal mobility, all with next-gen analytics to help you prove the value you deliver to your organization. 
Whatever your recruiting challenge, Jobvite has a solution. Visit jobvite.com slash C-A-T-K today. Again, jobvite.com forward slash C-A-T-K. Now let's get back into the show. So this week, uh, WPP's U.S. and U.K. diversity reports reiterated that there's still much work to do. Uh, And this one, Julie, hits on the advertising industry. We don't talk about that industry all that often. You know, we have these conversations around inclusion and representation. They tend to start with tech. They may move to financial services every once in a while. We may mention entertainment or some other uh, ancillary industry, if you will. But we know that, you know, that inclusion and representation conversation has no border. It has no perimeter. There's no stopping, if you will. It applies in every industry where it doesn't really apply is at the lower levels in the respective industry. Get people that are coming in entry level. We'll hire all of the black and brown people that you want. But as we escalate up the ladder, that representation becomes a bit more of a challenge. And so the data in WPP's report, um, it covers more than, I think, a U.S. workforce of 21,000 people. But if I'm not mistaken, uh, their workforce is more than 100,000 people in total in more than 111 companies. And it's disappointing. Now, I'm not sharing the story because the report is disappointing. You can read it for yourself. I'm sharing the story because WPP plans to track advancements made against several of their company-wide initiatives. And they started making some of these initiatives last year. They may have done some before, so don't quote me on that, but they certainly made some you know, declarative initiatives and statements after George Floyd. And so they're going to to release their numbers annually. That's one. Uh, but that the most notable okay. is that they are going to now include DNI goals in the annual bonuses of leadership. So here's where I want to pause. I, that's a question that I wanted to put out to you, my partner. What do you think about organizations saying, we're going to have a target. Some people see it as being a quota and they don't like quotas. Some people see it as being favoritism tied to bonus compensation. And so people are going to game cheat the system. So I'm just trying to keep it clean. What do you feel? How does that resonate with you when you think about them saying we're going to put this on certain levels of leadership that you do a better job around DNI? Um, two things, right? What gets measured gets done, period. If it doesn't get measured, it doesn't get done. If you're not held accountable for it, it's not a priority. Um, we absolutely, every company that we work with, um, we recommend roll up goals um, in terms of not just entry level, but advancement, lateral moves, um, overall team perspectives and diversity really from the VP level down and where we've seen companies be the most successful in moving the needle. It's when they've had those goals in front of them because it becomes top of their mind. Um, And the second thing I would say is uh, white men have been gaming the system and gaming the relationships and the advantages for 400 years. 
So I don't think there's anything wrong with leveling the damn playing field and making sure that people who are not getting opportunities are getting in front of the right people and are getting considered by those people. Absolutely. No, I agree with you 1000%. Um, you know, I, I want to be more clear. Um, WPP is 15 plus companies, 100,000 people, 111 countries where they have representation and more than 53 billion pounds in billings. Now, I didn't do the conversion, uh, but 53 billion pounds is a lot of money. So it's a little bit, a uh, little bit, just a little bit. You know what I mean? So uh, <laughs> the point being, they are they are absolutely doing some things and they are impacting, you know, almost all of us. Like, I don't believe we can use a product or a service. And WPP is not in some way influencing something in our day to day life, not once a week, once a month type, once a quarter type life. I believe some messaging that we are seeing both on Internet, media and in some way they are impacting our life. They are not impacting. That's probably not the right word. That's not the right word. They have a presence in our life. Yes. Period. And so I want to make sure that that we are looking at all of these industries and working hard to holding them accountable is not the right word, but our being more responsible about how we receive, how we allow them to take up that space in our life. Does that make sense, Jay? It absolutely does. Absolutely. Now, you were going to take issue. Um, I think you wanted to take issue with the whole diversity is the last frontier piece, because there's one piece that I want to I want to give them an attaboy on. But I want to hear what your thoughts are around this diversity being the last frontier. Well, so the, the article is titled Diversity's Last Frontier. Okay. And it's talking about neurodiversity. It is. Um, autism. I'm neurodiverse. I don't claim to be, but technically I am. Um, and neurodiversity is like the sexy disability right now, right? It, it's got lots of money. It's got lots of um, very powerful influencers who are bringing um, autism people on the spectrum and, and people who are neurodiverse to the front of the table. Fantastic, right? But there are 30 to 40 million of us that are also mentally ill in, in physical mobilities, speech mobilities, deaf or hard of hearing. Like, y'all, we can't figure out how to keep people with anxiety at work how to make an accommodation for a person who suffers from depression or panic attacks. Neurodiversity is not the last damn frontier. I appreciate your work there. I appreciate the, that they're being inclusive, but you're excluding a lot of us when you think that that's the end game. Yeah. And my attaboy for them, you know, and certainly the context that you frame it because I raised it as a, as a note of conversation. Not mm -hmm. necessarily a celebration, but I noted it as a point of conversation because I did want to say, I do like what they are doing. You know, they are making effort when we look at the website for WPP. A lot of their articles are not only in English, but they are in Mandarin. They are in mm -hmm. Spanish. They are in another language. I can't remember the one. So 
they are working hard to to try to represent those 100,000 individuals. They are working hard to try to connect, to resonate with those of us who might be landing on, on their website. So I said, you know, at least let me, let me, highlight their their uh, article around you know neurodiversity which is you know something that I appreciated something else that I appreciated was the modern slavery act and a lot of our listeners are working for organizations that have an EEOC statement they may have a diversity and inclusion statement on their website they may have some other statement that talks about we are a place of choice employment if you will I appreciated WPP's Modern Slavery Act statement. And for those of you who are not familiar, WPP.com, it says that WPP is committed to maintaining a high ethical standard, protecting human rights and acting with honesty and and integrity in everything that we do. This really speaks to their non-tolerance of any form of modern slavery forced labor, human trafficking in any portion of their business or supply chain. That I thought was good because I got to tell you, yes, I haven't read that on, well, I can just say I haven't read a statement like that on anyone else's website. I'm not saying it doesn't exist. I've just not seen it in preparation for any of these episodes over the last three years or with any of the clients that I have supported or am supporting. Actually, it might be on one that I think about, but I haven't seen it with my eyes and I appreciated seeing that. Yeah, no, for sure. That's a stand that that is not hard to take or shouldn't be hard to take and uh, and appreciate you calling it out for sure. So you have another interesting story this week, the Alliance for Global Inclusion. What are they doing? Yeah, so Ellen McGirt and her team over at Fortune with the Race Ahead newsletter. And if you're not a subscriber of Race Ahead through Fortune, absolutely, absolutely, absolutely encourage you to sign up because Ellen and her team do an incredible job with that daily newsletter. So this Alliance for Global Inclusion is a new public collaboration between Intel, Snap, NASDAQ, Dell Technologies, NTT Data, and probably 398 other companies. It's like more than 400 companies that have said, listen, we got to get to the heart of doing DNI better. We are going to come together as a, another consortium. And I know how you feel, Jay, about these consortiums and these public statements. And I'm going to just keep talking so that it'll sequester, <laughs> you know, some of the thoughts that you might have right now. But the reason why I'm raising this one is because I do believe that I believe that their mission is a little bit different than in the past, because in the past, they'll, they'll typically come together and they'll say, well, we want to hire X number of people or we want to try to focus on making sure that as a group, we are hiring X number of people. But they seem to be taking more of a a research. A best practice slash research posture. And yep. that's something that's a little bit different. And for me, well received. What do you think? Yeah, I mean. What I do think is different is is that there is a 
public index, right? So it's it's a standard in which we are driving an expectation of transparency, trust, and and driving scale, um, and that it's time to set. I like they say it on the site, right? The next normal, and we have to get to a place where diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging is normal. It is part of the DNA of companies and only through public accountability, right? Do we see change? Do we see action happen? And so if they're creating that transparency and the companies that are a part of that are willing to come out and say, here's the good, bad, and the ugly, I think it's a great place to start. Yeah, I do. And I love the fact that the index is there and hopefully we we can include the index in the um, the show notes. But I want to call out before we end this episode, three of the successful practices that tech firms have found. And then I want to also highlight three of the unsuccessful practices. So real quick, um, three of the successful, a formal process for inclusive product design. That's something that has been surface identified in more than not of the tech companies, the instances, a process for tracking inclusion sentiment across the organization or franchise. And then thirdly, formal programs that encourage dominant culture employees to adopt inclusive behavior. Formal programs, I believe, is the operative word. Do those three resonate with you? Yep. Oh, absolutely. I want to know how they are tracking inclusion sentiment, because I think that's probably one of the hardest things to measure, period. Um, So I'll definitely want to take some deep dive in there. But yes, and kudos on the inclusive product design. Let's always start there. Absolutely. And again, the website is allianceforglobalinclusion.com. Again, allianceforglobalinclusion.com. And if you go there, you can click on the index and you can see exactly what it is that Julie and I are talking about. And you can kind of measure your organization, where you all might be, where you may not be, and see what some of the other larger organizations are, are doing. Here's the three things that are not working. Programs asking employees to participate in diversity mentorship programs. Reward systems for inclusive behaviors. And lastly, training people managers on how to talk about inclusion and diversity. How to talk about it, not how to do it. How to talk about it. So I don't exactly know what that means, but. It sounds to me like the programs asking employees to participate in diversity. It sounds like some of these things may be a bit more topical reward systems for inclusive behavior. So, you know, I give you an attaboy or I give you some sort of cookie or bonus or something for your making a referral, if you will. But, you know, you might make a referral of a black or brown person or a person with a disability, maybe a veteran. I give you a, I give you a pat on the back for making that referral to talent acquisition, but you're not developing, you're not inspiring, you're not motivating, you're not supporting the black and brown employees that you currently have on your team, the veterans that you have on your team. 
the person with a disability that you have on your team. So on one side, you're making the referral, but so it sounds to me like the things that are not working, Julie, are the things that are topical. I really encourage you all to read the the report Alliance for Global Inclusion.com. I loved it. Oh, uh, name drop this week. I'm not surprisingly giving mine to the Chicago Bears um, for drafting Justin motherfucking Fields um, because they saw his value so much, right, that they gave up four picks this round or three picks this round and a first draft or first round pick next season. He'll get it done in Chicago. Absolutely. Uh, I don't have a name drop, but what I will say is there's a listener who had has been wildly supportive of our show from the very beginning. Um, and I haven't heard from him in quite some time. Haven't seen him active on Twitter. Um, and that normally is where I see his, his degree of activity. And so without calling his name, what I'm going to say is Mr. D G. If you hear this episode, we just want to know that you are okay. Yep. Definitely miss uh, his shining face and, and his smiles. So in closing today, um, something that I think sets us up for a perfect way to end the show is happiness is when what you think, what you say, and what you do are in harmony. by Muhammad Gandhi. For now, Jay and I are ghosts. See ya. Welcome to Don't Retire, Graduate, the podcast that asks you what you want to be when you grow up so you can graduate into retirement with a purpose and a passion, whether you're 25, 85, or any age in between. Gain actionable financial and mindset tips from your favorite authors, podcasters, and influencers to help you reach that exciting next chapter. Listen now and start building your path to financial freedom and reframing what retirement can mean to you. This is your host, Eric Brotman, reminding you, don't retire, graduate.